like a new Lincoln with all of its class. I like a martini and bird on the glass. I'm gonna start living. You wait and see. Nothing but the best is good enough for me. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another like great episode. I'm, I'm calling it great. You haven't heard it yet, but it's great. <laughs> another episode of Frankly Drinking, the podcast, the only Sinatra podcast that gives you three songs, two pours on one show. I'm your host, Lawrence. I'm Luke, and uh, you're listening to Frankly Drinking. And Larry, I think it's going to be a great show as well. I'm I'm pretty confident about this. I one. was pumped. I, I was I, I was I in a good feeling. I was in for the beginning. This. I was in for the first notes. <laughs> well, we've got you know, we've got some great uh, some great partners in this in terms of you know the 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 bourbon makers, uh, the musicians, the songwriters, and of course. Old Blue Eyes himself. That's right, Francis Albert Sinatra. So we got some good, some good collaborators. Yeah, on, on this one, as always. Uh, what have you uh, been up to? Speaking of uh, fellow collaborators, mm, I have. You know, I guess we are just we, we're we're just getting through. You know, yeah. I mean, things are things are a little um, things are still a little bit uh, crazy. Um, with everything and uh, there's some there's some upside down stuff and some right side up stuff and just trying to trying to enjoy um, trying to enjoy every day um, kind of in spite of uh, some of the circumstances which yeah. are uh, which are less than ideal sure yeah. I mean it's uh, it's like this long hot summer that never ends <laughs> and we're still recording about 30 feet away by the yeah. way so yeah. we still have the setup from our last couple of shows so yeah it's uh it's it's always interesting to record so far away. Yes, yes, uh, but it's it's working, and that is all. That's all thanks to you, because Larry takes care of the technical aspects. I, I try of frankly drinking. I try and uh, and does an excellent job. So, um, yeah. I'm the studio manager. I'm the host. I'm the PA, and you even sweep up the joint. I when, do sweep up the joint. Done. Yes, when we're done. Yeah. Yep. So uh, yeah, I, I I haven't really been paying attention um, for other reasons to like Frank news. Do we have any Frank news? Yeah, you know, um, there's been there's been a few things um, that have that have come up recently. Um, first of all, um, kind of big news: um, the uh, really great um, Sinatra documentary "All or Nothing at All," which uh, debuted a couple of years ago on HBO. Um, that has moved to Netflix. So oh. anyone, anyone, you know, any of our listeners that hey, maybe you, maybe you didn't catch it on HBO, definitely um, tune in on um, on Netflix and check out the four hour um, documentary. It's done in two parts, um, all or nothing at all. Um, it's uh, it's, it's great. Really great, yeah. It's uh, it's really good, and I I will just say you know we we run a very family friendly um, podcast, um, even though we are not appealing to kids, but we just keep it clean. I was about to say we, we okay we yeah. keep it clean on here. <laughs> yeah. um, so just so if anyone you know if you're if you want to watch the documentary, you don't want to have like a little kid uh, there because there's there's a little 
You know, it was a little I, bad language. I don't think they'll be watching anyway. No, probably not. They'll they're be, probably going to be running off to play video they'll games. They'll be playing or, something on their phone. Or whatever. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I, so. It's, it's incredible, especially, well, the, the, the beginning is amazing, but uh-huh. the, the, the end of part one, the beginning of part two is absolutely incredible. Yeah. Very yeah, well the, crafted. That's all, that's, that's all the big comeback. Uh, yes. Sinatra's big comeback. Yep. Um, from, from kind of the down, the down and dark days that he had. Um, and yeah, it's, uh, it's very well done. And, and just from an organizing perspective, it is built around the retirement concert, the 71 retirement concert. That is thematically the way that they, um, they built the, the, um, documentary around those. I think there's 11 songs in that retirement show and they play, uh, bits and pieces of all of those, and that that provides kind of a backbone, a really creative backbone yeah. for the show. Um, so highly recommended. Um, a couple other things that have happened: um, the journalist, uh, really uh, amazing journalist and writer uh, Pete Hamill, um, passed away um, in early August. Um, mm. He was the author um, of a, of a small book um, called "Why Sinatra Matters." And it's a great little book, um, and he's he he was he was a brilliant um, writer and journalist, and um, really I think I liked that book. I, I'm going to go back and read it again because it's been years since I since I read it. But you know, a couple of things that that Hamill said about Sinatra was you know he was the poet of male loneliness. Um, he made. Every song sound like um, it was autobiography. And um, he said, you really can't understand um, modern America unless you understand Sinatra. So, uh, folks, I guess you're in the right place if we're talking about Sinatra and uh, you want to get to a little bit bigger picture um, of of America. That was that was Pete Hamill's view. So, yeah, um, yeah. And uh, the last small note I've got, Larry, is something that you probably know about uh, based on your history. Um, but it was in the news in the last couple of weeks, the story about the guy who created um, Scooby-Doo and where he got the name oh. Scooby-Doo. Yeah. Have you heard about that? Yes. Yeah. Yes, I have. Yeah. So he he actually, for those of you who don't know, um, he, he heard... The song "Strangers in the Night" and the outro, when um, Sinatra is saying "Doobie Doobie Doo," what um, what the creator uh, of of Scooby Doo heard was Scooby Doo, and so that's where <laughs> that's where the dog's name came from. And he was riffing. He was riffing on maybe Sinatra was riffing on. I don't know, but but the creator of Scooby Doo was riffing on kind of beat language and kind of. Pete Nicks and like teenagers, you know, going, you know, yeah, Scooby Doo, man, Scooby Doo, <laughs> right on, brother, yeah, yeah, ring a ding ding, ring a ding ding. Uh, maybe that would have been the dog's name if he'd been listening to a different Sinatra well, track. And, and that was that was what Hanna Barbera, who who created that cartoon, uh, wanted. They wanted a te- you know, 60s teenagers and a dog solving mysteries, so yeah, yeah, and um. More to the point of tonight's show, um, there was a there was a story um, just a few weeks ago in in July um, about 
Frank Sinatra's Little Brown Book uh, that had surfaced, and this was not this was not a book of um, girlfriend names or you know paramours or anything like that. It was all about um, his friends, his colleagues, collaborators, musicians. Um, there were some interesting names, you know. Uh, Richard Nixon was in there. Um, Henry Kissinger was in there, and Kissinger's one of the few people who's still alive um, that was in this book. Wait, so these were contacts? Yeah, oh. yeah. I mean, this was this was basically Frank Sinatra's um, little telephone book. Gotcha. And you know, it was of course, as these are, you know, A to Z and all that, and had their address, some of their addresses, but all their phone numbers. And um, just really interesting from the perspective that it it was such an eclectic um, group of people yeah. um, that, that were in Sinatra's Little Brown Book. And um, the last person, uh, the only Z... In the book was Sidney Zion. Okay, he was a he was a lawyer and journalist, and um, what they referenced in the story about the book was that um, Sidney Zion once asked Frank who his favorite songwriter was. Now, I'm sure a million people asked Frank this this question, and he never answered it because he didn't want he had a lot of favorites, and he didn't want to offend any of the ones that he didn't name as his favorite. But right. in a moment of candor uh, with Sidney Zion, he immediately, uh, without missing a beat, said uh, Larry Hart. So Lorenz Hart. Um, of Rogers and Hart. Part of the, uh, yes, the the famous songwriting duo, um, uh, Hart doing the lyric and um, Rogers doing the music. And these guys... Um, these guys worked together uh, for about 20 years. Um, 20 years? Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. They worked together um, about, I think, about 20 years. Um, they did 28 musicals together. They hated each other. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they did 28 musicals, over 500 songs together. Wow. And interestingly, appropriately enough, they debuted on Broadway a hundred years ago in 1920. Wow. So, very, wow. very first uh, Broadway show. So, um, yeah. Well, and I think... What um, was their most, uh, I guess, th- they don't... Like Rodgers and Hammerstein, Hammerstein. Yeah. Uh, they, they are, they're more well-known, but Rodgers and Hart, uh, it, it's Hart's... From what I from what I understand, Hart is more the songs have a legacy, not the shows, right? Yeah, yeah. I I would I would agree with that. I mean, they're clearly the songs have tremendous longevity, um, and and they were incredibly popular at the time. They've been recorded again and again and again um, since that time. Um, and yeah, I, I'm not sure a lot of. Um, I was just trying to think of um, some of the shows that um, Rodgers and Hart did, but I think they were more, um, they weren't the same kind of show that Rodgers and Hammerstein um, did and became famous for and really took musicals um, to yeah. the next level right? Um, in the Post-war. United States. Yeah. Well, Rodgers and Hart were more known for comedy and 
uh, Rodgers and Hammerstein went on to do, obviously, Oklahoma and Epics and... Right, Carousel, yeah, right. Sound of Music, um, a lot of different things that had more uh, grown-up themes. And so, um, Larry, I think if you're okay with it, maybe we roll this uh, roll this first track and we'll come back and talk about it. Yeah, sure. Let's get Frank uh, back in the show here. <laughs> Welcome to the stage, Frank Sinatra. Some things that happen for the first time seem to be happening again. And so it seems that we have met before and then we laughed before. And then we loved before How about who knows Who knows where Where or where That's another Another ending We're, we're starting with the ending again Oh yeah, yeah um, Nothing wrong with that. Now, fantastic. Um, that 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 song, of course, uh, is where or when that that performance was from Sinatra at the Sands with Count Basie, um, and it was uh, it was a song that was that was written by Rodgers and Hart for the 1937 musical Babes in Arms, um, and it was it was the first number in the show. It went on to be a movie. Uh, a couple years later with Mickey Rooney and Judy Garland. And then it, I think, honestly, it'd be easier to tell you who didn't record this song than, than to tell you who did. But um, just a few of the people who did it, um, Julie Andrews, Count Basie, Shirley Bassey, the Beach Boys, Tony Bennett, Dave Brubeck, um, Michael Buble. And that that's just the A's and the, the B's. The Beach Boys did this. So, um, yeah, where or when... Um, also, Ella, Bing, Dean, Sammy, Nat and Cole, wow. blah, blah, blah. So this was done um, at uh, for, from the record, um, Sinatra, Sinatra at the Sands. And you can, you can just tell that is a really great performance. It's indicative of the sort of um, swagger that Sinatra has in that concert and why it's, why it's so great, why it's such a classic Um and it was a song that that Frank did. Uh, he recorded it in his Columbia days um, in 1950, and then again on Capitol in '58 um, with uh, with the Nelson Riddle arrangement uh, for uh, for for only the lonely. Uh, but it wasn't on that um, record. It was uh, oh, it, it was, was held outtake? off. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was not put on that album. And then um, you know, but it it stayed. It was a song that was always um, in the Sinatra concert repertoire, and he he performed it year after year from the '60s all the way through, you know, up into the '80s, and wow. when when he was still all all through those years, where or when is just a great great concert song, and and he he would sometimes say, um, "This is a song about me and you, the audience." Because that lyric at the beginning of the song, you know, I don't, I don't know um, when it was, you know, where or when. I feel we've been here before, 
You know, like I, I feel this kinship with you. A little deja vu. Yeah, like we've been here before. I don't know where I went. It doesn't matter. But here we are again. Um, so, yeah, beautiful uh, message from him to the audience. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know what about, I'm about to say, which is, is hearing... Maybe time for a beverage? Well, hearing something live <laughs> from the sands <laughs> and no drink in my hands. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I have selected uh, something that's going to uh, tee up our, our next Frank track. Okay. And um, okay, very good. I've poured I've poured a pretty healthy pour of this. Okay. Uh, this is uh, something that um, I've had sitting around on the shelf for a while. This is uh, it smells good. Mm-hmm. I think it smells pretty decent. Um, this is uh, Bourbon Deluxe from Jim Beam. Okay. This okay. is a brand that dates back to Prohibition, pre-Prohibition. Okay. Uh, actually, was created for Prohibition. Uh, this was originally distilled by the American Medicinal Spirits Company. Uh-huh. It was 16 years old, <laughs> and the Wathen family owned the company, and they there was a loophole in the Volstead Act that basically allowed for the production of medicinal whiskeys during oh, prohibition. Okay, so, right, sure. So the Wathens, the, the Wathen family, they're, they're, the family is still exists. They make Wathens. Right, uh, okay. Their descendants do. Yeah. And uh, they owned Old Granddad and Old Crow. They created and owned Old Granddad and Old Crow. And then in at the end of prohibition in 1929, National Distillers, which was a big... Uh, conglomerate distillation company uh, started acquiring brands. So they acquired Bourbon Deluxe in 1929. And at some point, uh, you know, it was aged down to around four years. So it went from being 16 years old to about four years, (laughs) maybe six years. But um, it was always uh, what they call a cat and dog label. Cats and dogs were these labels that were just kind of made for import export or made for regional or it wasn't exactly, uh, it was a national brand, okay. but it, it wasn't a top tier brand. Got it. Got but it. for whatever reason, mm-hmm. um, you know, through the 60s, it in the late 50s and 60s, it it was highly advertised. Okay. And so they've got a lot of, a lot of really cool old vintage ads. Um, some of their ad campaigns utilized really famous New Yorker cartoonists. Uh, so Peter Arno, who did a lot of New Yorker card, uh, covers, okay, and cartoons, okay. and Misha Richter. Uh, if you see their work, I'll put it up on uh, Instagram. You'll, you'll recognize yeah. them. They did some Esquire cartoons too. Okay, and uh, they did some ads in the '60s, and you know, it basically languished as most smaller brands did through the '70s when the great glut of the late '70s and '80s happened in whiskey, and <laughs> these brands were basically. Uh, not you know not being purchased. Whiskey was not being purchased because of vodka and other right. flavored spirits in the eighties. What the heck were people thinking? I, yeah, vodka. Wow. And so basically, uh, this brand was sold to Jim Beam. National Distillers sold Old Taylor, which they owned at the time, Old Granddad, and Old Crow in nineteen eighty seven. And so that's when it it became a four year age dated product. Okay. And um, and now it has no age data on it, and it's probably not very good. Uh, so I don't know. It's 
it's one of those things I haven't tried in a while. So here we go. Okay. Down the hatch. Okay. And Larry, how old is this bottle? Because this one does have an age statement mm-hmm. on here. Mm-hmm. A four-year four-year age statement on this bottle. This is probably have. from uh, just a few years ago, mm-hmm. 2008 mm-hmm. or nine, maybe, mm-hmm. maybe 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. I haven't dated the bottle. Okay. But uh, yeah, it's a little, it's only 80 proof, but it's really hot. Mm. It's a straight bourbon, which means... You know, it's four years or younger. Okay. Uh, well, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's not. I don't think it's bad. I. Um, it's not terrible. No, I. It's got a nice label. It's kind of a oh, throwback. Oh, the retro kind of label is great. Kind of a throwback label. This is one that you know they're just going to dig up at some point and uh, produce and sell it for you know forty bucks mm. probably in mm-hmm. the next couple mm-hmm. years. Um, but for whatever reason, uh, maybe they, were, they had a partnership or they had they had some sort of agreement mm-hmm. with um, National Distillers. Yeah. But when they made the movie Pal Joey what? in 1957, ah. Frank and the cast are drinking Bourbon Deluxe and Walker's Deluxe. Walker's Deluxe was an eight-year <laughs> product. <laughs> And Bourbon Deluxe is a six-year. So in the background, okay, at the bar, you know everything's in a decanter because right. it's classy. You got to pour your bourbon out of a decanter. Okay, right, right. It's not straight out of the bottle. No. Uh, although I think he might he might pick up a Walker's Deluxe and drink it. You know, okay. pour it out of the bottle. But yeah, uh, he is drinking Bourbon Deluxe in several scenes of this movie. Wow. Yeah. Fantastic. Okay, so here we are enjoying Bourbon Deluxe. Straight from the uh, musical film Pal Joey uh, from 1957, and it's it's really one of my it's one of my favorite uh, Frank films. Uh, it's pretty great. It has it has it's some great ridiculous. performances. <laughs> it has some. It's funny. There's some humor. There's a dog in it. There's a dog. Oh yeah, the dog Kim Novak. It's got it's got Kim Novak. Yeah. So um, fantastic. Well, Rita what Hayworth a, as well. Who yeah. Was, who was Obviously, the story. Read read a story if you want to Google it. Yeah, it's you know she was right. She was past her prime Mm -hmm. at this point. She still looks amazing, but she did struggle with uh, alcohol and and drugs, from Mm -hmm. what I understand. And um, you know, in subsequent years, but she looks great in this movie. There's there's a ridiculous shower scene where she's taking a shower, and the shower she's (laughs) she's rich. She she's she's a rich. She's a rich lady. Right, right. And socialite. Uh, yes, socialite. Yeah. And yeah. uh she's basically bailing and having a, a romance with uh with Frank, Joey. Right. Yeah. And uh and she takes this ridiculous shower and sings a number in the shower with, with the right. just, just watch The it. shower is gigantic. It's ridiculous. And it has a huge pink I think it's pink, like a a big curtain or a giant yeah. pink curtain around it. Yeah. I mean this is this is like rated G as far as that oh, goes. Oh yeah, no, it's fine. I mean, but it's, it's just, just it's, funny. It's funny because the, the it's like a curtain, of it. it's yeah. like fabric curtain Massive. with glass and then this fountain that's like shooting over yeah. the it's yeah. crazy. Yeah, I think but, she's uh, singing Bewitched Bothered and Bewildered yes, she is. while while uh, yep. while there. Uh, by Rogers and Hart. That's right. Well, this is their show. <laughs> that's right. Is, is this their well, most well-known show? You know, um, a lot of the songs from the original musical Pal Joey were ditched for the movie Pal mm, Joey, mm-hmm. but they still used Rogers and Hart, um, other Rogers and Hart songs from 
different shows that they pulled into uh, the Pal Joey film. Gotcha. So um, I don't think there's anything that's not Rogers and Hart in the film, although I could be wrong, but I know there's, there's other songs that did not come from, uh, from, from that musical. For example, and I think we're getting ready to play a song here. I think, um, are, I think we are. What do you think? Are we're we're we going to take a break. We're gonna, yeah. And as we go to break, we'll play this little number. Yeah. Which we're, we're going to play I, a song here. And this song, by the way, is from uh, Babes in Arms, which was a 1937 musical. It was used in Pal Joey. Um, and it was it was recorded, um, but not used. Uh, here's another uh, recorded, but not used recorded song not used. for this for a swinging affair. The Sinatra record. It was later put on CD, you know, reissues and or CD expanded cut on the CD version of that album. Wait, this was um, not on the original record. No, Sinatra wanted it on the soundtrack to uh, Pal Joey. Yeah. So that was that was the hook um, for that, and um, well, without further ado, Larry, let's uh, <laughs> yeah, let's rip into this, and no we'll problem. come back after the break and talk about it. I mean, you could talk all day about this one. Yes. She gets too hungry for dinner at eight. She likes the theater. And never comes late She never bothers With people she'd hate That's why the lady is a tramp Doesn't like crap games With barons or earls Won't go to Harlem in ermine and pearls Won't dish the dirt With the rest of the girls That's why the lady is a tramp It's the sensation that's sweeping the nation With two classics together at once The Voice and The Hooch It's frankly drinking Three songs, two fours Just like the chairman liked the nectar of the gods Sharpies and froth And she won't go to Harlem In Lincoln's or Ford's And she won't dish the dirt With the rest of the broads That's why the lady is a tramp She loves the free friends Wind in her hair Life without care She's broke But it's oak Hates California It's so cold and so damp That's why the lady That's why the lady That's why the lady Is a tramp that's just a classic. 
I yeah. mean, a classic. Yeah. Now, you know, it's it's a, it's not a disputed classic, but it's definitely one of those ones where people who don't know Frank Sinatra are like, oh, that's kind of a dated dinosaur track. And I'm like, no, no, you're not listening to the... Oh. You're not listening no. to the lyrics. No. It's completely a no. fun... I mean, actually, Hart was an amazing, amazing lyricist. Yeah. And uh, was... was all about love like all the all the songs are mostly about love he's really great at writing love songs mm-hmm. this one is just amazingly crafted yeah and and what we heard um what we heard in terms of the orchestration uh done by nelson riddle and that amazing uh group of musicians that's performing this uh with frank in 1957 um it really represents, in a lot of people's minds, uh, people who know this stuff backwards and forwards. I mean, this is sort of, uh, you, you go from um, I've Got You Under My Skin, which, which of course, is a seminal, uh, yeah. maybe the seminal Sinatra riddle track. Top, top three. Of all time. <laughs> and this is, this is way up there. And it, it, does, it does something incredibly similar to... Um, I've got you under my skin in the sense that it builds. It the has building, a classic yeah. build of it starts out with the piano, then the strings come in, then more of like the horns and things come in um, later in the song. There's an amazing interplay between Sinatra's vocal and the the sort of echo and response from um, f- from from the instruments in the band and. Really, what what you have is in this song, as in so many other um, orchestrations by Riddle um, and by other great arrangers that work with Sinatra, you really have a band that is putting Sinatra on a pedestal that's really working perfectly with him, giving the pauses in the music that he comes in on, not stepping on, you know, not stepping on the vocal, but just reinforcing it magnifying it and then it just builds just builds, builds, builds builds and um, yeah yeah the, the version nice finish the version in um in uh pal joey uh is great because first of all it, it, the first delivery of that the lady is a tramp it's so great uh rita hayworth's uh reaction to him yeah oh yeah you know? and uh and it's great like it's not as it's not as delivered in that respect, it's more performed mm-hmm. for the movie, for the cameras, right. but it's great. Like he's, he's got so many throwaway moments in it. It's like, if you didn't know the song and you watch the movie, you understand that the song's been around for a while because the way he's throwing lines away in it, yeah, which is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and by the way, this, of course, like the last track, this became a Sinatra, a perennial live track performed in Sinatra concerts, for many many years and frank really this is a song he loved to sing he loved to joke around and 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 tweak the lyric a little bit (laughs) yeah and you know ad lib stuff and a man in his music when she likes the 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 wind in her cuckoo hair yeah oh yeah free fresh (laughs) cuckoo yeah it's it's he did so much of that because he was singing it and he just had it's it's just fun fun uh, he's he's having he has a great time with it and you can't you really can't help it I mean at least I can't as an audience member 
someone who's listening to it, even all these years later, you get caught up in that in that fun and excitement of hearing Frank. And he definitely has um, he's got that edge sort of um, knowing um, wink and a nod um, kind of way of singing it. And uh, it's uh, it's it's fantastic. There's a reason why it's on a million Frank Sinatra live oh, performances. Yeah. yeah, it was always there, uh, a staple. I don't, yeah. Speaking of staples, I don't know, I don't know if the Bourbon Deluxe, uh, the current 2020 <laughs> iteration, will mm-hmm. become a staple mm-hmm. of mine. Mm-hmm. And although it's grown on me, it's not as it's not like drinking Jim Beam. It's a di- it's almost different. It's got to be a different mash bill or something. I don't know what's going on with it, but it's uh it tastes it tastes different it, although it doesn't have much in the middle it's there's something about the <laughs> the residual effects of it that are uh, kind of nice actually wasn't well you know <laughs> we are enjoying whiskey it's so. it's a bottom shelf whiskey yeah let's put it that way what, where does this go for if you oh know. probably 14 bucks it's oh okay yeah, you're not going to find it that easily it's probably regional okay to kentucky okay. um maybe the st louis area i i have no idea I love that Bourbon Deluxe, you know, they're going off that whole French, French, uh, Nolans, mm-hmm. Nolans thing here. Bourbon Deluxe. Mm. We've got all the, all the French is coming out here. That's deluxe. all. That's about all the French I know, it's by de, the way. It's Deluxe. It, it's about three deluxe. and a half years old. It's Deluxe. <laughs> deluxe. That is a, <laughs> as we've said before, as a marketing term, Deluxe. Well, yeah. And so, <laughs> oh. and so I knew, I knew what we were going to get ourselves into with that first pour, but I, I wanted mm-hmm. to really try it. Uh, that's why. That's why for the this week's uh, Jack Daniels selection, uh-huh. I have picked um, what is what is the best Jack Daniels you can buy for a reasonable price any day of the week, right off the shelf, and really, and it, and, and it's the closest thing to what Frank would have had in his glass on stage at the Sands or any other live show. Okay, and that's just the straight up single barrel select. Okay, now this particular bottle. It's special because what Jack's been doing for the last couple of years is letting, or Jeff Arnett from Jack has been selecting, hand selecting regional bottlings. Oh, oh, the, like the master distiller is, he's choosing these? He's choosing these barrels. Okay. For certain store picks. Okay. And regions. So this is a Jeff Arnett selection for the Atlanta market. Wow. And this is... This is the best jack for the price, and um, you're not going to break the bank. It's going to be fifty-five bucks, maybe forty-five bucks. Really? Yeah. Really? That's that's pretty reasonable. Yeah. And this is a obviously, if you've seen the uh, single barrel bottle, I mean, it's a beautiful bottle and presentation. Oh, it's a great bottle. It comes in a box. You can get a liter of it still. Uh, okay. Some places, um, I have an older leader, but this this is I just picked this up because I heard it was good. Uh-huh. Um, but you know, your store, if your store participates in single barrel picks, they would be doing this. But you can find this. I mean, it's look. I, I've been to Jack uh, on the Jack tour a couple of times. Yeah, and every time I ask the tour guide what their favorite Jack is, and each one of them says this. <laughs> so, it's always and they get product. They, they get a free bottle a month. The members of the Jack Daniels uh, Distillery team. Really? Okay. Yes. Okay. So okay. at the end of the week, you're allowed to cash in a token, or or oh. so, somehow they know that you're okay. you know, you're getting okay. your bottle. So, wow. um, yeah. I wonder if they're hiring up there. <laughs> 
<laughs> Can I work remote from Atlanta? <laughs> it's only three hours away. Will so. they mail me? Will they mail me my bottle? You can commute. Wow. Okay. Yeah. That Jeez. Monday. That that Monday morning commute might be hard. Hey, uh, after, especially after especially. your free bottle on Friday. You get your well, check and your bottle. This is really good. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna taste this now. I have yeah. I've been talking. I gotta it's try. It's really good. So this is bottled at 94 proof. Jack was always 90 proof, all the way through the 60s and 70s up to the 80s. They reduced it to 86, and then they reduced it to 80. I'm, I'm not sure if that was the right order, but basically they yeah they, yeah, yeah. They, they got it down to 80. Right. And then now with the market the way it is, you're gonna find 86 proof special editions. You're gonna find. Mm-hmm. But the the standard black label mm-hmm. is has been upped to eighty six for certain special editions. Oh, okay, and right. it's still and, and black label still rests at eighty, right? So, yeah, almost everything. I mean, all those sort of regular issue stuff um, tends to be eighty proof. But wow, this is this is Boy, great. What did you say this was ninety four? Ninety four. By the way, that's we're, like dessert. Yeah. And so, uh, what is the, what's the dessert for this uh, program, Larry? The dessert for this program is our is our Discover Frank track um, for tonight. It's not really it's not an obscure song, but it is more uh, it is a little bit more obscure than the first two songs that uh, that that we that we shared tonight. And we're gonna we're we're going to listen to "My Heart Stood Still." Um, this was, um, of course, uh, like all the tracks tonight, written by Rogers and Hart. It was uh, written in 1927 uh, for the review um, One Damn Thing After Another, which opened at the London Palladium uh, 93 years ago in, in 1927. Um, we are going to listen to the version that... Um, Frank did for uh, the concert Sinatra, and that was that was a, 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 a an album that he did on reprise uh, with Nelson Riddle in 1963, and it was the first, it was the largest ever uh, Sinatra orchestra with 76 amazing. musicians jammed in there for if, this. I'm going to say right now, yeah, if you don't own, own this record. Yeah. Buy this album. Yeah. Just buy it. Yeah. If you have digital, you know, music services. Right. Great. Listen to Buy it. this record on vinyl or CD. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it is. It is really exceptional. And just to just to be clear, it's not a concert. It has to do with the way that it, that uh, everything is orchestrated. It's like a concert and in the style of the way that it was performed. But. Um, it is certainly not a live recording. It is. Uh, it's a beautiful studio recording with great arrangements by by Nelson. But a great. This is this is a great album. The whole the concert Sinatra. Definitely check it out. So it's, good. It is. It is worth it. The low end right? on Frank's voice on this one. Yeah. Is I, I don't know. This this might this is in the top three as far as I think the Frank experience that you can get. I think. Only the Lonely, this, and pick your third yeah. because th- those two plus the plus a third record you want to pick, it is quintessential, amazing, like everything that's great about Frank's voice. 
Yeah, and and it is a great it's a great record um, that we're going to listen to in just a minute as we leave you. My heart stood still. It it was used in uh, concert again and again and again by Sinatra. He did it. He did it live, and uh, he he loved this song. Um, wow, Rogers and Hart. I I think I'm already thinking we need to do Rogers and Hart part two, but uh, we'll leave that. There's plenty for the there's future plenty to pull from. Hey, everybody. Thank you for listening. Uh, like us on uh, the Apple Podcast. Write a review if you want to. Tell yeah. your friends. Tell your neighbors. Go buy a bottle of Jack. Kick back next week and listen to the next edition of this show or the next edition of this show. Just keep listening. And until then, you've been listening to Frankly Drinking. And here is Frank. I never lived at all Until the thrill of that moment